The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Do you know a high schooler who is a natural leader and loves to give back to their community? The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's Student Visionaries of the Year program might be the perfect opportunity. Forming strong teams to support them, Student Visionaries of the Year candidates fundraise for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local community. This seven-week philanthropic leadership development program helps students gain valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship. Not to mention, it looks great on college applications. But most importantly, it's a chance for students to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on the lives of blood cancer patients and their families. Learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students. Welcome to the Jill on Money Show. It's Saturday, February 12th, and we have a great guest this week. And I know I say that when I have guests, but because I really like booking our fantastic guests. And this is somebody who uh, I had seen the book was being published and I thought was really interesting. The author is Spencer Jacob. He wrote a book that is called The Revolution That Wasn't, GameStop, Reddit, and the fleecing of small investors. Now, Spencer is an editor at the Wall Street Journal, so he's got a day job. This is a two-part interview. I think it's so great. It's about a year since we had the whole meme stock fiasco. And what I was interested in learning in this book was what were the conditions that allowed this trend to actually begin? And also, um, was it successful in terms of what they, many of the meme stock people thought they were doing? So in this first part of the interview, we are going to talk about how tech fueled the meme stock boom. Here is the first part of our interview with Spencer Jacob. Explain how you were first exposed to the Reddit communities that were kind of chatting about GameStop and AMC and these meme stocks. Tell the story of how this occurred. Okay. Well, so I, I work at the Wall Street Journal and maybe a year before the, this whole crazy episode, you know, we'd see some stock go up 50%, 100% for a day, two days and you know, look for news because we were at the Wall Street Journal and we wouldn't see any news. And then we'd say like, oh yeah, well, it was talked about on Wall Street Bet. So I was aware that there were, you know, there was a rush of people coming into the markets who were new to the markets, who relied on social media for their ideas. 
and it'd be this sort of flash in the pan. And so I, I had my eye on that, but it was all kind of funny, you know. It was it wasn't taken too seriously in the newsroom for sure, but even on Wall Street. Although there's some people who followed it. Let's go to January 2021. I'm sitting at home because of COVID, editing an article for the next day's Wall Street Journal. I've got three boys. My oldest boy, who was home also for the same reason, uh, came over and asked me if I was going to write something about GameStop. I was like, no, why? You know, and I, I took a look at the share price. I was like, oh, well, seems to have gone up a lot. I said, yeah, my friend bought it a couple of days ago and has doubled his money. And, you know, he, he comes to me every once in a while with like, my friend did this, my friend did that. Um, you know, young men are are pretty risk taking uh, when it comes to in- investing. I said, "Well, listen, he, I, I can't give out financial advice, but this, these don't last long. He should sell." And he said, "No, he's not going to sell," which is a very strange thing to say. And I was like, "What do you mean?" He said, "No, no, no," because they're talking about our Wall Street bets. He explained the whole idea is not to sell. You know, without getting too technical, there's this thing that used to happen in the stock market. I mean, a century or more ago, uh, that happened a lot, where people would gang up on somebody else who was exposed to unlimited losses because they had bet against a stock. They had shorted a stock. And just mathematically, just like most of us, we buy a stock or we buy a fund, the worst thing that would happen is you lose all your money. And the best thing that would happen is it goes up a a whole bunch. But somebody who is in the business of betting against stocks, that's, that's in reverse. So they're theoretically exposed to these unlimited losses. And, and they always have to be on the lookout for, for news and things happening. The people on this message board ambush them by not only agreeing to all go in and buy this stock, GameStop, and, and that of, of other companies all at the same time and buy options that kind of were like supercharged their money, but they, they also agreed not to sell uh, so that those short sellers didn't have anybody to buy the stock back from so they could cover their short positions, which was catastrophic. So it's like it's like they were like in a crowded theater and then somebody lit the theater on fire and there's only one little door. And then they threw dynamite into the theater and then they threw nitroglycerin on top of the dynamite. Like that, that was kind of the effect. So it was pretty incredible. I, I had never seen anything like that. I hadn't either. And I'm a commodities trader by training from 100 years ago. And so I have seen that in real life, not just in trading places, but, yeah. you know, like I actually experienced that where they were like, that guy's a jerk. He didn't use that word. You know, he's short. Let's squeeze him. But, you know, it's what's interesting is that we've never seen this kind of mass movement among retail investors. I mean, it almost felt different to me than actually the, let's say, the day trading of the late 90s where, you know, people just wanted to make money. Now we have these platforms that are sort of doing the the cheerleading and the let's get back at the man. Talk a little bit about how the change in technology actually allowed this to maybe foment to a different level. If you've been following markets for a, a while, the thing that you'll hear again and again, and it, it is true basically, uh, is that this time is never different. That it's always, you know, sort of history. It doesn't repeat, but it rhymes mm-hmm. in, in the markets that you know, people are fearful and they're greedy and you have manias and panics and crashes and it's just a new generation needs to to go through it. But this was different. This was different for a few reasons. One is that, you know, the human psychology hasn't changed, right? But but these companies that are in social media and uh, that are developing the latest trading apps, they understand psychology and they know how to push our buttons. And so they just supercharged some of the the effects out there. And they brought some new psychological wrinkles to it too. For example, the most popular 
app that these young people use by far was Robinhood, which pioneered zero commission trading. Now, when you charge zero for something, I don't know if you ever like got lazy. I, I do sometimes on Halloween. I don't want to go to the door 50 times. So you just leave like a bunch of Snickers bars, you know, out by the door, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you go out an hour later and some some kid took every single Snickers bar and is going to have a bellyache, right? I mean, because it's free, right? Mm-hmm. So why not take as many? And not to oversimplify, but there's a, this tripwire. When you make something free, like if you made snow shovels free, people would still just want one snow shovel. Who needs five snow shovels? But if you make something fun free, this was fun for young people trading stocks then they'll do it a lot. And there were people, the active customers of this uh, company, Robinhood, were checking their accounts seven or eight times a day. Some of them were trading in excess of 10,000 times a year, mm. which is just a lot. And so that set the stage for this, this frenetic burst of trading activity that affected GameStop and the other meme stocks. And the way that the app is set up, you you open it up and like, oh, this is helpful. It shows me what's trending, what stocks people are talking about. Well, you know what? That's known as FOMO. If you're a young mm-hmm. person, especially, you want to see what everyone else is doing. Like, just like when you go on on Twitter or TikTok or whatever, you want to see what's trending. You want to see what's cool. You want to see what everybody else your age is looking at. And so you saw the stocks everybody was was talking about. And a lot of the times those stocks were up or down a whole bunch. And if you own those and you saw that they're up or down a whole bunch, then it, it made you more active. That's important to their business model because if you charge zero for commissions, it's not really free, right? Nothing mm-hmm. is free. But if you charge zero, then you got to make money somehow and you make it all on the front end. You don't make any of it on the back end. They sell those trades to market makers like Citadel Securities and Virtu, and they get paid for every trade they send. And the wilder the trades are, the more that those market makers like to to pay them because the more kind of spread that their customers leave on the table in stocks or options the wilder they are, the, the more they're likely to place a, a trade without a limit on it, the better it is for the market maker to fill it. They can you know, get a bigger fraction of a cent that they, they make on that trade. And they loved Robinhood. They paid Robinhood more than they paid uh, a customer from Schwab or, or other places because Robinhood customers were, were very lucrative for them. And they were trading like crazy, even though they had small accounts. And you also admit, I I think there's the other confluence that you note in the book, which was really important, which is a lot of these younger or newer investors also had a little money. They had some money from stimulus. They may have not been spending as much money on doing, you know, fun stuff because we are it's a mid COVID. A lot of them were white collar workers who had a few bucks and they were going to throw it at the markets. And that seemed like a, a fun thing to do. And, and, and you point and I completely forgot about this. Like you also point out that like this is all happening and there's not a lot of sports going on. And so there's all this going on that is really fascinating. Robinhood, which we know, you know, does this gamification of investing. And this quote that you had, I I highlighted it because it just kind of freaked me out. A 19-year-old at the time when he made his first trade on Robinhood, this guy, Seth, he Mm -hmm. says, the volatility, it was the same sort of rush when I play poker. And I felt that, wow, this is addictive, essentially. And that's why people are, you know, we're addicted to a lot of social media. But this is this is really intense because the addiction could cause you to actually lose a lot of money. And then also on top of that, Robinhood especially, but all these, listen, all these online firms, they love the activity. I'm wondering how did this whole idea of like, 
let's stick it to the man. How did that start to develop? And then poke holes and why that's just essentially not going to happen in this in this way. Well, I don't want to be condescending, first of all, to the young generation. Um, you know, I have people approximately in that age group who, you know, who work for me at the Wall Street Journal. I love you, know, you millennials and Gen Z, and I've got, you know, kids in that age group. But let's think about their formative experience, right? Um, some of them have student loans that are pretty crippling that they they resent. Their formative experiences when it came to money were seeing oftentimes their their parents struggle in the wake of the financial crisis when they were probably mostly too young to actually have accounts themselves, perhaps lose their homes, things like that. So they saw Wall Street as a, a place full of bad guys. It's not that they they resent wealth because a, as I explain, there are a lot of rich people who got a lot richer uh, as a result of this. And there are rich people who they like, these kind of financial influencers like Elon Musk and people like that and Chamath Palihapitiya, day trader Portnoy, you know, so people are already rich who are sort of their heroes. It's not that they were rich. It's that guys in suits on Wall Street were seen as bad guys. And then there's a subset of those bad guys in their mind that are like cartoon villains who are hedge fund managers who can bet against stocks, who can bet that stocks will fall. Because they, if you bet a stock is going to go down, I mean, that's a normal part of markets. It's not, it's nothing, you know, but if you go right now into Google, Jill, mm -hmm. and you type in short sellers are. Uh, okay, hold on, first, I'm doing it. Hold yep. it. Short sellers are. Did you get a really bad word or? I did. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, <laughs> right. Okay, that's a that's a necessary part of, of of markets. You you have to have somebody. Price has to be approximately right. Should be approximately right. That means mm -hmm. you can't just have some people say I'm going to buy the stock and other people say I'm not going to buy the stock. You have to have somebody who's going to say, well, this is really expensive. I'm going to take the opposite side of the bet. There's nothing wrong mm -hmm. with that. Mm -hmm. But they were seen as these cartoon villains because they were betting against, and not just any stock. They were betting against GameStop, and they conflated that with trying to put GameStop out of business. Now, if you bet against a company, you're not trying to put it out of business. You just think it might go out of business, which was a pretty good bet when it came to GameStop. And I can say that as the father of three boys who used to go there all the time. And I've not been there too often recently because everything's digitized now. They, yeah. they buy games online. It's like Blockbuster three years before Netflix put them out of business. That's kind of the problem that they have. So it seemed like a, you know, on the merits, like a pretty, pretty good bet. But GameStop, especially for these young men, and we're talking men from the ages of 18 to 35, it was a big part of their childhoods. It was a place they went all the time. It was a place they were nostalgic about. And here are these bad guys, they think, trying to put GameStop out of business, also AMC, also other companies, you know, and then it turned into a cause because it's a, a twofer uh, or a threefer almost, really. You could save this company somehow by buying its stock. You can stick it to the man by costing people on Wall Street a bunch of money. And the posts on the these uh, message boards that they were reading were like, how to bankrupt institutional investors for dummies and stuff like that. <laughs> and, uh, and, they, and, and the people had names too. And they had names that were like punchable names. The, the guy who lost the most money in this, his company was called Melvin Capital. He was uh, one of the best paid people in America in 2020. He made $846 million oh personally. God right? Yeah. In 2020, you know, he bought a part of the Charlotte Hornets. He bought this like big beachfront property and then he bought a beachfront property next to it so he could build a, a playground and a tennis court. 
you know, and, you know, he was just was throwing money around like crazy. And he was one of the more modest hedge fund managers, by the way. Uh, and then the third thing was it was seen as a way to make a lot of money. And the people on these message boards, this is where people, young people went to get financial advice because they had just opened about 10 million young people in America had opened brokerage accounts. And where do young people go for advice? They don't go to mom and dad's broker at Morgan Stanley or whatever. They mm-hmm. they go on the internet. They go on these message boards. And that's the the other, that's I forgot to mention before, that's the other technological difference is you always had places where you could get bad advice about stocks. But if you go on social media, let's say, Jill, that you're, like, you're really sensible and you have, um, you go on there and you post some really sensible advice, you know, pretty sober you did. Uh, I, I like the stock. I, I put 5% of my portfolio into it. And here, here are my five really cerebral reasons for doing that. And somebody else goes on there and says, hey, I took out a second mortgage and put all my money into call options on this stock that will expire worthless if it doesn't go up. You know, Here's a screenshot of my account. Here's some funny memes and here's some rocket ship emojis. It's not just that that person's post is more exciting to a, a young person than yours, but because of the algorithms that operate on social media, your post won't even be seen. Your post is too cerebral to be seen. It's not going to get upvoted. And that person's post will get upvoted. So when somebody comes to that site and says, I wonder what I should do with my money. I just got a stimulus check. I just opened this account at Robinhood. They're not going to even see your post. It's not visible. Mm. And that other post is very visible. So that's that's the kind of the atmosphere that, that created basically the conditions for this crazy story to happen. Okay, that was part one. And tomorrow we are going to talk about whether or not the small investors were able to really get back at the big ones. That's going to be tomorrow. If you've got a financial question, if you own a meme stock, perhaps give us a holler. Our website is jillonmoney.com. Just click on the contact us button and we'll get your note. And while you're there, sign up for the free weekly newsletter. Put your hands metaphorically on someone's back today. And don't forget to let us know if there's anything that is on your mind. We want to help you out. Grit, growth, grace. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.